it's very comforting to know that you're here for something and that if you know yourself and then what human design does also is it gives you like your GPS to get there. So you are designed for something and there's a tool to help you get there. To me, that's very relaxing to know that like, oh, I'm here to play my role rather than like, oh, I got to figure out how to you know, be successful in this world that is doesn't recognize me like, you know, that's torture. But like, I have a unique part to play. And that is really important. And we each do. And I think it's a really no matter what we're facing, no matter what's in front of you, no matter what you're seeing out there, you know, you have a purpose, a reason for being here. And it's really important to actualize that right now. And I think that when people don't, the pressure cooker is going to be hot and uncomfortable. Hello, this is Pam December, and this is the Mad for Purple podcast, your place for all things spirituality, self-actualization, healing, and human design. Keep listening to receive wisdom, tips, and tools as we journey into higher consciousness together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode from Mad for Purple. Today, I'll be talking with Raquel Reyna. Raquel is a 5-1 splenic projector and a fellow left angle cross of Obscuration 2. She has innocence motivation, indirect determination, and the channels of surrender and initiation. Now, this episode is longer than I anticipated or intended, but when it came to the editing, I just could not find a place to cut it down. So I'm just going to really trust that who needs to hear this will receive what they need, and I'll have timestamps in the description so you can feel free to jump around in the episode to what really resonates for you. I do hope that you're able to listen to the whole episode because Raquel brings an essence that I feel is really an honor to hear and witness. So Raquel has her master's degree in spiritual psychology and is a human design transformational investigator and revolutionary teacher. She's the founder of the Creative Coaching Certification and advises conscious beings on their journey of discovering their genetic material, fully awakening their unique inner brilliance, and transforming their lives, relationships, and businesses. And in addition to human design, Raquel utilizes the law of attraction, mindset techniques, spiritual psychology, shamanic principles, and grounded business tools to assist her clients in unleashing their unique and personal transformation. Hello, Raquel, and welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Really, honestly, I was looking forward to spending this time with you, like very excited to be here. And, you know, of course, chatting about human design and all things spiritual and personal development is really the best way to spend some time. So absolutely. And this is the place for that. So what I like to start off the episode with is just asking my guests, when and how did your spiritual journey begin? So such a good question. And it's so fun to share. So my spiritual journey began when I was in college. And I grew up in a very superficial world. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. And you know, in a place to me that metaphysics were not spoken about to any degree. So I had no idea about any sort of spiritual knowledge. And when I got to college, I just got introduced to metaphysics and spiritual books and not in my college, but my friends, you know, and I got obsessed with just reading, you know, channeling, Seth, the cryon, like all those things that, you know, you get introduced to. And I was really obsessed with tarot cards. And, um, and then I read the Carlos Castaneda books and that series. And I was just, riveted because I had never seen anything like that. I had never heard of shamans. I had never known that there are other worlds. And it just really spoke to me on every level. So I was obsessed. I read every single book. And then I just had this thought that I wanted to meet a teacher. And they call it in the Carlos Castaneda, they call it the Nagual. And it's your Nagual teacher. And so I just demanded it from the universe. Like, I want to meet my Nagual teacher. And within a few days, one of my best friends told me that there was this man who was teaching shamanic teachings in his living room. 
and this was across the street from my house. And so I walked in and it was a young kid. It was a college student who did not look like any college students that I've ever met. His apartment was like perfectly clean and like there was light coming in and the energy was so different. And there was about five or six people just sitting in a circle and he was sitting in the middle and he was teaching the four agreements. And this was like long before the four agreements were an actual book. And so that kid was Don Miguel's son. And they're the same lineage as Carlos Castaneda. They come from the Teotihuacan lineage, the Toltecs. And so I just was obsessed. I, I went to every one of his classes. And then he said, you know, you should meet my dad. And at that time, he was just teaching out of his living room. And he's like this shaman who packed power that you just, you cannot imagine. So, you know, being somebody who was not exposed to this, except for through reading, then all of a sudden walking into a world where you are entering in different dimensions, it literally just rocked my whole world and everything I believed and everything I wanted out of life and just changed everything for me to have that experience with Miguel. And then I met the whole community and just, you know, studied shamanism and got completely obsessed with meditation and spiritual awakening. And we traveled all over the world to power spots. And his teachings are a lot about dreaming and stalking. So basically like, you know, manifestation, how to manifest your life, how to stalk your own limiting beliefs is the way they call it. And so it's you're stalking yourself and then you're living in your dream, creating your dream. And so that's how my power journey began. And, you know, this is a long time before I found out I was a projector. And so, you know, it still came with it, a lot of pain and a lot of struggle trying to manifest and not really understanding why, you know, I was getting projected upon because I'm a line and I was manifesting all kinds of drama, all kinds of just craziness in my 20s, like craziness. And so I was on a long search for something that felt somewhat successful for me. And so that was just sort of the launching pad. And I had many spiritual experiences and many spiritual teachers after that. Um, Miguel was not really ultimately someone I respected. I know it hasn't really come out in the public about him so much, but a lot of his practices and things that he does, he, in my opinion, isn't somebody to continue to follow because he is not in integrity, in my opinion. So I kind of broke free from that, but I was on such a deep search. So I met a lot of spiritual teachers and I had a lot of experiences and had moments of awakening, moments of really intense connections with spirit and all kinds of crazy experiences happened to me. But I have never really been able to live in the generator world. I never really got it. Like could never really figure out how to keep up and how to not burn out and how to be recognized. And I was always shouting to be heard. And, you know, I ended up, uh, I got my master's in spiritual psychology, which was basically what that is, is just a deep process of healing through processing, processing, healing, processing, healing through therapy. And, you know, uh, I had years of uh, a lot of struggle that I needed to process and heal. And that was really fantastic. But again, still not understanding my design. And then when I was finally introduced to the fact that I was a projector, this was, you know, when I first met Davidian and he's here to mutate. If he can't mutate someone's path, then they're not for him, right? Because he's such a mutative force. And thankfully, like I was totally open to mutation, like bring it on. Well, not at first. I was like, a projector? That's odd. But once I started to really hear what it meant, it was like, oh my God. 
right? Like, what? If I only knew. And so that really changed the game for me. It just did. It changed everything. And why I'm so passionate about this intel, because I just think that literally every single thing I've ever read about spirituality and law of attraction and manifestation and any kind of spiritual literature, nothing helps the projector. Like, I mean, I think that it's possible for other types to potentially find their way if they have the right tools and like potentially, I mean, nothing helps you as much as human design, but nothing will support the projector until they find human design. And so, you know, it's really an important mission, I think, to spread about that because we all suffer if one of the types isn't recognized. It's not just the projectors, it's all of us. We all suffer. And so my spiritual awakening and path became so much better more integrated. You know, I was so not self-generator, manifesting generator. And how did that come about after years and years of spiritual study? You know, that was always my question. Like how did years and years, and you know, my human design teacher was like, because you were processing your not self. And so that's just a spiral that goes on and on and on. And so I was just processing, you know, in spiritual psychology, I had 10 years of therapy, maybe not 10 years, but a long time, right? And then eventually learning that your undefined solar plexus, it's like, you can just let it freaking go. It's not yours. And I mean, that took me like six months to be like calm inside. So I know that everyone comes to the tool they need at the right moment in their life. And some people need more spiritual tools if they've been studying human design for a long time. Sometimes they get stuck in the intellect of human design, you know? So I'm not saying that it's the only piece, but to me, it was the missing piece. Yeah, as a projector, that undefined sacral, the undefined emotional solar plexus on top of that for you, the open root, like that's a lot of other people's energy that you're processing too without understanding it, right? How long do you feel the overall deconditioning process was for your sacral? You know, I mean, I look back and it has been over seven years now, you know, Um, and even though I felt immediately different, I felt immediately aware and instantaneously things began to shift from my life. I instantaneously quit everything I was doing. I quit my high end career. I quit my side businesses. And I mean, I know a lot of people don't do that. I know a lot of projectors that are working full time and they're not as extreme as me. I do have shock. So, you know, it's like, okay, I'm done with that. But I was just contemplating this today because, you know, I really have been wanting to move from where we are for a while. I've been wanting to move, go out to the country. We're an hour and a half from LA and it is very peaceful where we are. Okay. Um, and I love where we are, but you know, we're still in a very densely populated place. And so I've been wanting to move. And then I was talking to another human design projector and he was like, yeah, but that's what your mind wants. Your mind thinks, your mind thinks it wants, your mind thinks it wants. And so this has been the most healing cave where I was invited. It's very cave-like. It's really right for Davidian and I. It's shores and caves. Like it's right for me. And even though my mind is like, I want to go and do and whatever, like magic came from me being still and being in the lockdown and not being around any other auras and not feeling the pressure to need something to be other than what it is, just being with what is. And that is all deconditioned. Conditioning. And it's still, um, you know, I still have layers that I'm that I'm deconditioning, but because I had so much time here and so much time away from the congestion, because, you know, I moved here from LA and most of my family and friends are in LA. And so I just drive back and forth and not doing that and just stopping really made me realize 
how deeply I wasn't even allowing the full deconditioning, like by just continuing to kind of be in that energy. And so it has been years now and I feel very different. I am not the same being and it's weird. I mean, it's weird. It really is. It's a very bizarre process when you contemplate it because it is not spiritual in the same way of all my spiritual training and spiritual work. And, you know, Ra talks about it being on a different plane. He talks about human design being on the mental plane, not the spiritual plane. However you want to process what that means, what it means for me is how we merge more the physical with the material. So who you are literally as this physical being moving through time and space. Like for me, it's very easy to pop into other dimensions and get guidance and hear my guides and like step into all these other worlds. And then I would download that intel and then I would just start, you know, oh, I should take this action, this action. My mind would just, you know, go off. And so the process is so different completely different when you're just moving in vehicle consciousness. And so to answer your question, I would say it's an ongoing, ever going process, you know, but yeah, the deconditioning of the sacral is it's intense. I would say it's the sacral and, you know, um, well, it's all of my undefined centers, but the way I feel it is the pressure to think and behave as a generator. That panther yeah. energy, right? That we all yeah grow up in and work in and live in generally. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, being this far into your experiment and like looking at the sacral, because you're undefined, like there's this wisdom that you've gained through experiencing other people's generative energy. What is it like to be in the room with a not self-generator versus one that is living correctly? Great question. To me, it does feel like chaos. I think not self-generator feels like chaos to me. It feels like a frenzied energy as opposed to a calming force. You know, a generator that is living and responding, there's this beautiful harmony to their consciousness, right? Now, I see a lot of generators who can get away with being in their routine. So technically, a generator wakes up and is to respond to life, you know, and um, that is often, you know, without routine. But I mean, everybody has a routine to a certain degree. So that's just my observation. I notice that sometimes people, they are responding, but they're also sort of hooked in to perhaps it's the penta, you know, perhaps it's the penta force moving them. More like an autopilot. Right, right. So that's a really interesting question. You know, and the other thing is it's very, I mean, to tease apart what's going on. So like, for example, when I went to the Joe Dispenza retreat, there's 1500 people there and they're all deeply connected to a very powerful mission and an incredible force of light and important information and important work on the planet. Every single person who was there was tapped into something. And yet it was really hard to tease apart. Like everybody was within this Penta and and everybody was in the generator fuel, but it felt healthy in that way, but not for anybody who was an undefined sacral. But there was something about the generator being in that energy where they were just fully inspired, fully on purpose, fully connected, like that generator fuel, it felt healthy to me, um, but not healthy for me on every level. <laughs> healthy for me in like 70%, but not, you know, all of it. But that's a great question. I mean, that's one I'm going to be contemplating. 
because the way I see it also is like some people are just so unconscious, their lives are just in total chaos. They're not just generators, you know, they're not self projectors, not self manifestors, and they're just in chaos. I mean, I think in general, anyone who's in their not self, but also unconscious. So I think people who are more aware and more conscious, it feels to me even the not self is activated, but it's less chaotic. The groundedness to somebody that's in alignment. Right. Love that. And that's interesting what you're saying about being at Joe Dispenza's event. And like, I can hear you talking about what you're feeling sacrally, but also your splenic projector. So also getting hits from the spleen as to what is healthy for you or not. So I'm curious, how do you, how do you answer that question? I mean, I know you're defined, so it sacral, it's not going to be the same exactly, but what is your sense when people are healthy in their sacral and, and, or not, what do you sense on that? Well, definitely like I can feel what you mean about the chaos. I think because I have an open emotional solar plexus, that's where I'm more likely to feel it is emotionally and having that gate hanging gate 35 going to attract the 36 crisis so I can really feel that chaotic energy that you described I have good enough boundaries now not to take on any of that energy though I also have a defined root though too which I think is protective and helps keep me grounded yeah Going back to you're talking about like wanting to move. Now your transferred motivation of desire, is that what you're seeing in play with that? Or I have a lot of listeners and friends that are innocent motivation. So I'd love to hear more about that. I think you're absolutely right. That is definitely a big part of it um, because the desire is overwhelming. It is a huge part of our conditioning on the planet. And I can spot it now in business because I think that's where my biggest trap was how to grow your business. And, you know, especially because I was moving from corporate and trying to create a career as a projector. So you get hooked into coaches who are like, okay, let's grow your business. I finally think I spotted that one with desire. And yet I definitely have been in this unraveling since I moved here to Orange County. I've wanted to, I've had the desire to get out of here (laughs) since the day I moved in. So, So, um, (laughs) so yeah, the innocence is really about being in the no agenda and just being able to take it in. And this has served my innocence because this neighborhood is, I mean, I live literally, Pam, in the safest city of all of the United States. We are in the safest city. I've always lived in cities. I've lived in the worst parts. I lived in like right in the South of Market in San Francisco, like walking through the Tenderloin. I always did have a sense of innocence. Like I could walk through like dangerous cities and be like friends with everybody on the street and the drug dealers and like the homeless and like just honestly be friends with everyone. And I was never freaked out. I was always like, I just love the energy of the cities. And I mean, so to be in, the safest place and it's crazy but at the same time it's so great for my innocence because when I really let it in and that is being with no agenda right as long as I'm here with a plan I can't take in the beauty of this place and one of the things that um that I used as sort of a beacon to settle in here was the fact that Bijou was so happy and for everyone listening Bijou's my little dog who I didn't have children this lifetime, but I have a dog that I'm obsessed with. And um, she is my familiar. So she represents, she is the reflector of an innocent projector. Let's put it like that. She never wakes me up. She will sleep as long as I want to sleep. You know, and everyone says their dog helps them get up in the morning. No, not this dog. I have to beg her like, come on, Bijou, it's time for a walk. So she's never been happier. Like the minute we got here, she was just, I mean, my dog smiles. She is so happy and she is so sensitive to energy. So if we are arguing, we raise our voice, she rings a bell to go outside. Like she does not like it. She's so sensitive. She's an incredible being. And so when I look at her and I think this environment, first of all, I was invited. Second of all, like it's very cave. It's got this, this womb. It's like, you have to go through the cave to kind of get in here. It's like surrounded by the trees. And then we're on, 
um, this lake and the lake is perfect for Davidian's artificial shores because it's not a, you know, it's not a real lake. And so when I allow myself to just be in the beauty of this place and like walk at the lake every day and really be in the beauty that is here because it is really beautiful and really amazing. Um, things begin to flower in my life. And I know that to be true. And so I have let it go. As a matter of fact, I was just this morning going through my process of like, you said you were going to move in 2022. Why, why are you guys not looking for a place? You, you know, my mind was going nuts just this morning. And I was like talking to myself through this desire. The time will come. It will be perfect. You're having to wait for the invitation. Like you are in a big process right now. Like you've got a big thing going on with the book. Like you need to stay in your hibernation and keep with what you're doing. Like I had to literally talk myself out of it. So yeah, it's desire. It's absolutely desire. And it has to do with, you know, just this pressure. And why do I have such a strong desire? I don't know where it came from. I think it has to do with my conditioning where I grew up, like in LA. But also I think I'm having a calling to be out in the country. It's not the city thing. I'm having a calling. And it's funny because our human design teacher that Davidian and I go to a lot, he told Davidian that once I'm fully out of my not self, once I'm fully deconditioned, I'm going to really love it here. Invitation to sink into that more, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so funny that we're talking about this because it literally was my morning you know when you catch your mind in the morning spinning out on something and you're like okay hold on I'm in my morning meditation like we're getting ready for the day what are you spinning out on and then I'm reeling it back in going oh I'm obsessing about wanting to buy a home outside in the country like it is so a bizarre like obsession desire that it's hard for me to unravel that but yes, it is. It's my transference probably in every area. <laughs> I think innocence, like it's so counter counterintuitive, so counter to culture. So it's so different, but it's sixth line. That's where humanity is evolving to, right? The right and the sixth. And I'm just amazed at how many people, when I pull their charts, they actually are innocence motivation. So I'm really glad that we're having this conversation so that I can share this with them. Yeah. I think knowing your motivation, I mean, it's as awe inspiring as knowing your type and inner authority, maybe even more so. And it, the innocence is not something that we revere in this world and not something that we hold sacred. You know, it is something that we pick on, we bully, we kick, you know, we do not like watching people in their innocence. Maybe babies, you know, if you're a baby, you could get away with it. But as an adult, no. And as a junior high school kid, no. Like the minute you go to junior high, the innocence is like beat out of you. Um, and so reclaiming that innocence is a real power journey. And to watch it when you surrender to it, how it changes your life is dramatic. You know, yeah, living and discovering the innocence was as dramatic for me as discovering I was a projector and finally being like with a projector, what I would do is I would sit with my circle of friends or wherever I was and just notice how desperately I was trying to be seen and to just sit in that it's so profound when you first have that aha and then with the innocence it really came when I realized that my entire existence is programmed with desire and so is everybody's I mean we are programmed to go for what you want what do you dream of? What's your desire? You know, everything is based on desire. And it's so, I mean, it's so disorienting to surrender to innocence. It really is disorienting. And yet it feels so right, you know, it feels so right. So thank you for that reminder as I twirl out on when I can move out of Orange County. No problem. <laughs> I love the coincidences that come up, right? <laughs> So one of the other unique things about your chart, or I don't know what the statistics are, how many people are nocturnal? I've not seen a lot. 
Yeah. So what has your journey been? I know this is something that you've been transitioning to. And for listeners, like this has to do with the determination. Raquel is indirect. So this is part of the primary health system. It's the uh, design, sun and earth. And so I have not seen a lot of people with indirect. I don't know what the percentages are, but let's put it this way. This podcast was early for me. I had to get up early to be here. <laughs> it's two o'clock mountain standard time here. It is a horribly embarrassing thing for most of the world because you know what, Pam, you are so psychic. Like you are fully pulling out the psychic. Like I know that it's, I mean, this is also 2343, just the knowing, you know, but this was a huge contemplation for me today as well. I, you know, the fact that I am trying to not set any appointments before three. And, you know, that's very challenging to do. And as a matter of fact, I'm starting a new course next week and most of the group couldn't do it that late. And so we're going to have to do it earlier, like 1.30. And that is a struggle for me. And, you know, the interesting thing is that once I found out about the fact that I was indirect. So for those of you listening, Pam was a part of my very first group that I went through the entire four radical transformations with. And this group to me was sacred because everybody was experimenting and it was the experimentation that everyone went through that provided so much wisdom and guidance on everyone's journey. And I had known I was indirect for years and years and years, but everyone just said, you know, eat with the lights down or, or eat with a candle or, you know, it took me until the spleen was like, it's time to learn more about this. And I heard in, you know, after learning so deeply all about PHS, Raw just kind of makes this offhanded remark about how the indirect should change their whole life and they should work the graveyard and, you know, and it's not just about eating in the dark. Okay. And as a matter of fact, it actually, <laughs> my diet, I'm not noticing the shift so much in the diet, like, oh, now that I eat at night, I can eat whatever I want. That has not happened for me. I cannot eat whatever I want. But when I stay up late, I am friggin' inspired. I am so turned on at night. I'm so capable of doing everything. And when I sleep in and I allow myself to sleep in during the day, because that's really, um, you know, the experimentation is like, how do you feel when you experiment with this? And I have no sleep issues. I mean, I used to be, well, I thought I was suffering from insomnia because I was trying to, everyone said you should go to bed early as a projector. So I was trying to go to bed early and then I would just suffer. You know, I'm trying to go to bed. I'm like, oh, I can't sleep. So then I take the melatonin and then I couldn't get up. And then I was awake and like really, really suffering and really, really uncomfortable. And then of course there's talk about conditioning is like, you you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're a motor, you got to get up at 6am and, you know, get out there, meditate and, you know, you got to start your day. And I was always like this, so uncomfortable. And it's always been that way my whole life. And so to me, that is another shocking thing about human design or raw just, I mean, honestly, it always blows me away. But other people that I have met who are nocturnal, they say the exact same thing their whole life they're always more awake at night. And actually, when I was in San Francisco, I naturally stayed up all night, but my life was, I worked at night. And so it was, my life naturally was designed for that. But I always am embarrassed. I have to say, there's always like this like veil of like, yeah, I don't get up until, you know, noon, one, two, whatever. Like, it's always having to like deal with the fact that I know everyone thinks that I'm so, you know, like a whatever it is, you know, that people think about those people that don't get up in the morning. Um but it is completely game-changing for me. It is so inspiring. I feel so good. And it definitely changed everything for me to allow myself to sleep in. Like just that one simple thing, just like take the pressure off the judgment off and just like, you know, go for it. And so now I'm kind of in the schedule where I go to bed around three every night and um, that feels about right. And then I will wake up whenever I wake up and then I just slowly let 
my day start. And I usually start my classes around three. And that's the beautiful thing about being able to set my own schedule is that I can actually do that. I mean, I don't know how many people can actually set their schedule like that. It's not a super easy thing to do. But if you are nocturnal and you do have the ability to do it, everything changes. Like everything in my system has adjusted. Like my hormones feel more balanced. My health feels more aligned. Just everything. As a projector, there's this low grade tired feeling that we get. And I've had it my whole life. If, you know, I ever had to, and I only did this one time in my entire life. I know that's shocking, but I only worked twice in my entire life where I had to be somewhere at like 8am, like an office. I was an artist and I navigated my life so that I didn't have to do that. But there were a couple of times when I did, and that's the greatest suffering. (laughs) That's the greatest suffering I ever suffered was to have to wake up at six in the morning and be like at an office. Like when I was in college for six months, but I was substitute teaching and it was like, you have to wake up at like four or five in the morning and get there at like eight for the kids. And then you're there for eight hours or whatever. I mean, I would have like pain all over my face and this is in my twenties, right? Like my body would be pained. Like I would have pain everywhere. So now it's like, I understand. And when I got promoted right before I quit my corporate, there was a brief period of time where I had to show up at the office. And I mean, it was excruciating. So I don't know how the not self indirect projectors survive. And I know some of them do, you know, not for very long. But um, if people knew this, I mean, seriously, Pam, like I just, it is so outrageously soothing for me. Like I do not feel tired at all. I mean, that's not totally true, but I definitely have more energy than most projectors I know. My day is just filled with energy because I allow myself to sleep in. It's pretty magical. So don't judge me, everybody out there. Sounds magical. I know for myself, like I don't have an alarm and that's the most magical thing is just waking up. Sometimes it's six in the morning. Sometimes it's nine. This winter surprised me with a couple of 10 o'clock. So I was like, what? I don't sleep until 10 o'clock. But to have the time and space and the privilege to set our own hours, to honor our bodies, wisdom, honor our bodies and what they need, like it's such a gift. And I would love for more people to, to experience this. It really is. It really is. And, you know, I know a lot more people are working from home. And I just hope that also all of those CEOs and people controlling people working from home, just let people work at their own pace. Like that has been proven that if you let people work when they are best and most motivated, whether it's at night or in the morning or whenever their schedule is, they will be more productive. And I know that most of the tech industries, at least they have, you know, ways to inspire people and let them work when it's right for them and let them nap when they need to and let them sleep during the day. But even just that alone, that level of awareness, like people are more productive when it's correct for them. And if we could just lift the stigma of that, you know, uh, that would heal and serve a lot of humanity because there's so much stigma around it. Again, the conditioning. Yeah. The conditioning of this industrial world that the nine center being was born into. Yep. Yeah, I had severe conditioning around sleeping in. Like those are lazy people. I mean, so much conditioning. I can't even express to you because I mean, it goes back to my family as well, which is just so crazy. Like my dad, he was desire. So that's the other interesting thing is if you look at your parents and where you're most heavily conditioned, there's usually some kind of connection with the motivation. And I'm seeing that, like that pattern. And And so I was conditioned by a man who was living in innocence, right? But not properly. He was not in his desire. So what that did is, of course, being the rebel and the heretic, all I did was desire and push and drive. And, you know, um, so it's just so fascinating. And the other thing with him is he slept in. And I was very judgmental of that. I was very judgmental of my dad. I saw him as like, you know, real lazy for that. 
I can just imagine feeling the same way if I'd had that experience. And it does, it comes down to like societal expectations and all of that, right? Yeah, it's really interesting when you start looking at your family of origin and the baggage maybe that they got from their parents that now you're carrying that needs to be healed. Right, all the things that keep you from living as your divine uniqueness. We all know where the societal conditioning comes from, but when you see your own conditioning in your family, which we all have, that it's really fascinating because we are just forced into these boxes and you know when you're brought to this information it's such a gift you know I really honestly am so shocked when people don't take it on because why wouldn't you want to know about a tool that gives you freedom like why wouldn't you want to know Exactly. And I know like with some people that the timing just isn't right, or maybe the person that introduced them to the information did it in a way that it didn't resonate or the information itself coming through raw, like let's gate 51. Like it's meant, it's meant to wake some things up in you. You're so right. You have a very compassionate, compassionate way of dealing with all those people who poo-poo human design. <laughs> I hold a place of hope for you, for everybody to come, come Find your uniqueness and your own authority and be sovereign. (laughs) What are your feelings on like now we're two years closer to 2027 and us in the human design world, I feel we're more, I don't know if prepared is the right word, but we knew that there was going to be things like this happening, like the pandemic. Do you feel like with time and with what we've gone through the last two years, are we going to see a continuation of that for another five years? Do you see a softening of it? Or what do you have coming forward for you right now? And obviously, as things change, it could change. But yeah, I mean, my general sense is that the fact that things are falling apart, and there's so much shakedown in businesses and the government, and we're seeing it in a way we could have never dreamed, we could have never imagined. I think that there's going to be more of that, but no way to really predict how it's going to unfold, in my opinion, okay? So I know a lot of people have, you know, taken Ra's prophecy and what he sees happening in 2027. I think that it's more important to look at the aura mechanics and be present and to know that what we project out into the field has power and impact. And so what we hold as far as how things are going to be shifting is important. So I'm going to fall more in the camp of seeing this as the great awakening and seeing this as, I mean, the great awakening that's become such a bizarre, weird term now. So I take that back. But what I mean by that is I think that we, it takes pressure for people to self-actualize. It takes pressure pressure for people to come to terms with who they are. And so I think that the more chaos we're in, the more people are going to turn to tools like their own inner knowing, their own inner authority. Otherwise, they're going to head into more and more extreme chaos. And so I do think that there's one way through this, which is going inside into your own center of calm and clarity, because there's going to be no reality that we can rest our hat on anymore. We're not going to have like the scientific method to be like, this is what truth is. This is what our reality is. This is what we've proven over time. Like that's all going away. And what are people going to do? You know, it's like, There's no go to the nine to five, get the 401k, go have kids, raise a family, like all of those grids are dismantling. So this is a very interesting time. And so that's what I think we're going to be seeing is more and more dissolving of all of these, the basic idea of what reality is. And that's freaking interesting. It is interesting. And I don't know if it's just us with Kate 61 that find it interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we're among the the rare few that think it's interesting. (laughs) No, but I mean, it is going to be necessary to move into neutrality for everyone where we're witnessing it without, you know, judging what's going on, just being able to witness what's happening. And I think that is so important because, you know, if you look 
back on Raw talking about 2027 back 20 years ago, right? Or however long it was. You know, it felt like such a long way away. And then to see this 2020, the seven, and all we talk about in human design is the seven-year cycle. You know, so the seven-year breaking down before the wheel shift, because this is the ending of the cycle. So if you don't know much, if you're listening and you don't know much about this, um, what we're talking about, what's happening is that Raw saw a 411-year cycle that we operate in. And so in 2027, we're moving into an entirely new cycle and it's incredibly different. The other thing is that's interesting is there's a lot of calendars and a lot of different ways of looking at time and cycles, but everybody agrees that we're in a cycle shift of some kind, you know, it's like, oh, 2012 or whatever, like there's a cycle shift happening. And if you just look at history over the last, you know, the last 400 years, uh, this entire process of capitalism, building of the banks, building of the systems, um, all of the working agreements that we had, the governments building the United States, you know, all of these things. If you look at that cross of planning, which is what we were in the last 411 years, and you were just to analyze that circuitry, you would be shocked to see how well it so perfectly explains everything that was happening. And to know that the cycle shifting, and we know that things are going to be dismantling, and then we're actually witnessing it happening. It's really interesting. So, you know, we're moving into what they call the era of the individual, which is also the cross of the sleeping phoenix. Okay? They call it the era of the individual because it's all based around this 3420, which is this direct knowing of an individual expression. And that is very different from collective knowledge. So we were, our entire society was based on the scientific collective knowledge, which is, this is the science. This is what happened. This is the reality. And now it's going to be the, and who said it? The gnosis, the direct knowing. That was so great because that's exactly what it is. It's like, you are not going to know the reality until you know your own personal experience of it. And that's been so true for me. I think that that's how I based my entire spiritual study, everything is through experiential knowing. Like if I don't have an experience of it, if I don't have an experience of God, I'm not going to believe just what you guys are telling me about it. If I don't have an experience of the other side, people who've transitioned, you know, not to get like so esoteric, but if I don't have that direct experience, then I'm not going to believe it. That's just, you know, part of my personal view is, as well It's you know, how with personal view, the way we experience things. So that is part of what you and I experience with our personal view, but this is where we're going. So you got to know what you experience. You got to know what your truth is. And I mean, that is repeated over and over again. Everything I've been witnessing recently is that it's not about having a scientific truth anymore. There's your truth. There's your slice of the truth and your mission on the planet, your unique purpose. And you you have to know it and play it. And that's what this time is pushing us to, is to know your unique place and live that mission. And if you're not doing that, what you're going to find yourself in is the breakdown and the confusion. And so I think it's dramatic. And I think that it's, what's the word I'm looking for? I think that it's imperative. I mean, honestly, like part of me feels like we should be shouting on the rooftops, like, you gotta freaking know your design or you're gonna suffer. But I mean, that's really the truth. Like if you look out there and you look at people who are, out in the chaos, they are suffering. I mean, everyone I know who is, you know, not keeping up with what's going on, they're just trying to like do business as usual. They are in severe meltdown. Yes. Oh, one of the things that Karen Curry Parker often says that I really resonate with is there is no suffering in the chart. I love that. I love that. I love that she says that. And yeah, that's it. We're not designed to suffer. We're not designed to suffer. We're actually designed to have all the abundance, all the love, all the value, all the self-worth that we can cultivate. Yeah. 
we're all inherently worthy. And we all have a really important part, you know, and that, that was another thing that Karen Curry said, you know, is like, you have to, I don't remember exactly her quote, but it was about that unique, you know, finding that unique puzzle piece, that unique piece that you have to play. I mean, it's very comforting to know that you're here for something and that if you know yourself and then what human design does also is it gives you like your GPS to get there. So you are designed for something and there's a tool to help you get there. To me, that's very relaxing to know that like, oh, I'm here to play my role rather than like, oh, I got to figure out how to, you know, be successful in this world that is, doesn't recognize me. Like, you know, that's torture, but like, I have a unique part to play and that is really important. And we each do. And I think it's a really, no matter what we're facing, no matter what's in front of you, no matter what you're seeing out there, you know, you have a purpose, a reason for being here. And it's really important to actualize that right now. And I think that when people don't, the pressure cooker is going to be hot and uncomfortable. Yes, because that going back to what you're saying about the pressure to change, to self-actualize, that's exactly it. And the planets are even supporting that. Yep. Everybody out there, if you don't have your chart, get your chart. Learn your strategy and authority. If nothing else, learn your strategy and authority. <laughs> We're pushers. We're pushers. <laughs> <laughs> the good kind. Exactly. <laughs> Influencers in the right direction. Right. Because it's all about your own authority in the end. So. Right. Exactly. Um, I am designed to influence and like that has a very bizarre connotation around it. And it like when I first came to human design, you know, that channel is known as like the sleazy car salesman channel. And I'm just like, oh, great. Nice. I love that one. But like, I've always been the one who influenced my friends. And when I was rebellious, you know, I influenced in the wrong way. I was like, come on, let's go get in trouble. You know, I was a real rebellious kid. You were the car salesman. <laughs> I was. I was like really, really a bad influence on people. Um, but now influencing people to the right. And by the way, there is a better way to look at that channel. If any of you have it, I don't see you as sleazy salespeople. Um, you know, and this comes from Richard Rudd, the Gene Keys, like really contemplating his way of looking at that channel is really about being willing to influence and being willing to assist people to invest their energy in things that drive their lives forward for the greater good of their soul, you know, and so you want to move people forward for their greater good. Um, obviously, you can never influence anybody by telling them what to do or by, you know, manipulating people. The point is to inspire people to use their own inner authority, but to encourage them to be moving forward in the right direction through inspiration. And so that is a big part of that channel. And that's why I do feel to write all of my childhood wrongs of influencing in the wrong direction. Now I feel it's all about influencing people into the right direction, which is, you know, pulling your energy back from anybody or anything that has any kind of power control over you so that you are the sovereign authority over your life. Sovereignty. I love that. Yeah. And that's really what we're going to need for this shift for 2027 is that pulling your energy out of whatever situation you're in that isn't allowing you to be yourself. And so it's dramatic, I think, because it's happening fast and we don't know how things are going to go down. You know, Roth seemed to think that things were going to really, really break down, really break down. I try not to prophesize because I'm not a prophet. And so my message really is simply to live your design. I don't know what's going to happen, but I also don't believe in buying into the fear, you know, and I don't think anyone really knows exactly how things are going to go. But look around at the world right now. How many different realities can you find if you traveled the world? Many as there are people pretty much like everybody has their own in a sense. 
I'm sorry, but go to LA and, you know, go look at the frigging, the, along the highways and look at, you will find the apocalypse right now. There is homeless camps all along the, the highways of LA. I mean, it's so upsetting, you know, but that is the end of the world right there. That is people living in camps, living in tents, not having homes, a lot of drug addiction, um, and that's right here. That's an hour from my house, you know? So um, we're going to be able to see as many realities as there are people, like you said. And we have power over our realities, what you're going to create in your own home. So I don't know what we're going to see, but I think there's going to be some shocking things. There's going to be some, you know, I mean, whatever we got going on now, I think it's going to intensify. I think I would have to agree just because the systems and structures that we have right now aren't supporting everybody. Like the homeless camps that you were just talking about, those people deserve to be supported. They deserve to have homes. They deserve to be able to have the means to live their purpose. Yeah. I mean, considering most of them are like mentally unstable, you know, they need mental health, they need support. And that's only one issue, right? Yeah. Think of all of the issues that we have right now that we have going on. Yeah. You dive into politics, healthcare, all banking, like so many systems and the systems that are feeding into like climate change and that. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. We were all chose to be here for this time for a reason. Right. I would rather be here than in what, you know, happened World War II or, you know, I mean, we've gone through some pretty crazy things on this planet. And, you know, so I would say this is crazy, but there are worse things that humanity has been through. So if you could impart like one tidbit on our audience, whether they're just starting their spiritual journey or maybe they've been on it for a bit, what would that be? I think the most important aspect for me right now is about getting really comfortable in your own space with yourself and allowing for as much alone time as possible, unplugging as much unplugging as possible. Um, I think that was some incredibly valuable advice that someone gave me when I first started as a projector, which I've never heard anyone else repeat, was he said to me, go live below your mean so that you can just like not have to hustle and, you know, like go be alone. But at first I was like, this guy talking about like, I'm in LA. I got like a lot going on. Like, you know, I had my juice bar in the middle of West Hollywood, man. That was the best advice because most people who are giving you any kind of motivational or business tips or tools or whatever, like nobody says like, don't worry about earning so much. Just try and like simplify your life and simplify your means. You know, we don't need so much, particularly if you're trying to unplug and you, you know, look, and we all get abundance, but sometimes you got to, you know, I had to like reorganize my abundance coming from like a corporate career and you don't get there by just saying, oh, I have to hustle to make that money again. You get there by like allowing yourself to simplify, at least for me as a projector. I'm not saying for everybody, but everybody would benefit from unplugging a little bit. We all need to decondition. And that means getting comfortable in your own skin. And that is really not easy to do. And with that comes living your design and tapping into your frequency through meditation, through healing, through reading, through walking, through being. That's where you find yourself. You know, that's where you can find yourself. And we're not here just to be motivated and go for the gold. Like we are here to go within and to uncover what our magic is and then let everything come to you and unfold. But everyone's so out there hustling, trying to make something happen, trying to make their life go and get and be that you don't, you know, there's never the advice to like simplify, go inside, tap in. And um, so that would be my, my little suggestion for people because it's not something that people tell you to do you know that go sit with the tree for a little bit make some new best friends the trees the (laughs) The nature yes (laughs) that's awesome thank you so much for that i have a ton of links for everybody to be able to find Raquel. But where is your happy place on the interwebs? Where can we find you the most? 
one of the best places is the YouTube channel. Um, we haven't been so active as we should be on it right now, but there's so much information there. Um, Raquel and Davidian unleash your genius. And it's such a great place to begin the journey of your design because we have so many intro videos on how to read your chart and intro for projectors. So many great videos there for people who want to dive in a little bit deeper into their designs. That would be where I would recommend people if they're ready to experiment a little bit more with their design. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. That was really fun. You know, I love being heard and you're just like, I love talking, you know, I have to admit because, you know, my undefined throat and as a projector, we love being heard and you're just such a beautiful listener. And I just feel so like, I basically feel like I just like completely revealed my whole life and um, was so heard that for me, it was incredibly, incredibly fulfilling so thank you for having me and being so present and being such an amazing observer and listener and this is really really fun to share it's really fun to be able to witness and bring that out so thank you so much for being open yeah it's my pleasure Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. If you'd like to connect with Raquel, all of her information will be in the episode description, or you can head over to my website, madforpurple.com to access the show notes. Now some key takeaways. One, human design is an experiment. Two, deconditioning happens in seven-year cycles. Three, the transferred motivation of innocence is desire. Four, indirect determination is not just about eating in the dark. And five, in this place in history that we find ourselves, it is pushing us to know our unique place in the world and to live that mission. If you'd like to support me in the show, please share this episode or head to Apple and leave a review. One listener writes, informative and soothing. Pam's podcast is so informative. I'm excited to learn about human design and healing through this podcast. Pam's soft and welcoming voice is very soothing and healing itself. Looking forward to listening to more of her conversation. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Megumi W. If you'd like to learn more about human design as a tool for self-actualization, I encourage you to sign up for my free presentation, Human Design for Self-Actualization, at the link in the description below. And before you leave, don't forget to click that follow button on your podcast listening app so that you don't miss an episode. New episodes come out each Thursday, so be sure to tune in. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you then.